they are... <laughs> they're me as kids. I mean, they're a spitting image of who I was as a kid sometimes. And I see them in the backyard making... One of my boys the other day, legit, found a stick, shaved it down on the concrete, and made a spear out of it to go spear other kids, apparently. Welcome to the Skilled Dad Podcast. This is the podcast for dads of all seasons to learn the things that they can do and engage so that they can go and equip the next generation for success. Here we sit down with everyday dads just like you to learn from their story, get inspired, and then start getting after it. So we invite you to join in, see what you can take away from this story, and apply to your life on your journey to becoming a skilled dad. Hey guys, I'm here with my great friend, Justin Meeker, and I want to set the table with this. If you're ready for a good time and have some fun, <laughs> you've come to the right place. I've known Justin now for about three years, and he's phenomenally, phenomenally talented in a number of different areas, but one of the places I love the most is just sitting down like this and hearing some of his stories and the energy behind it. So Justin, I want to say thank you for joining in, and we're going to have at least five listeners for this one for you. I, Fantastic, I will, man. I'll pay thank em. you. Thank you. I already had to pay you for the kind words, so it's okay to just <laughs> reciprocate to get listeners. That's awesome. So you and I talked about this a little bit earlier. I like this to be a little unstructured. Yeah. If, if you've not listened to this podcast before, this is the opportunity to chime in and hear the stories from dads like you. Yeah, real dads that are going through the three nagers, <laughs> that are, four nagers, too. four nagers that are living life, and you may not have ever heard of them, seen them on a billboard or on another podcast, and you may not again. But this is where learning and stories and finding out that you're not the only one that might have some of these challenges can come from. And so we encourage you to. Chime in and listen. Listen for some takeaways that you've got towards the end of this. We'll probably do some recaps just to pull out and say, hey, what came out? But this is kind of all natural. We let the conversation go. <laughs> and it can go in a lot of it's different dangerous, places. dangerous, man, for me. It, it is. That's why I like it. I like rolling the dice a little bit. This is good. This is perfect. And and you, you're in the treehouse, yeah. by the way. For, for everyone that is watching, which is no one, uh, we're in the treehouse studio because why not get out in nature when it's 82 degrees in a little humid Tennessee and enjoy talking about being a dad in a treehouse? Yeah, it's Tennessee at its finest, really, is what it comes down to. It is Tennessee at its finest. It is. All right, Justin, if you would, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? And you can take that wherever you want to go. Oh, my goodness. That's a wide-open can of worms it might right be the there. Whole <laughs> it might be the whole thing just to share. Let me just talk. Let me roll back to when I was five. No, um, I, I grew up, I was the youngest of three kids. My sister is 12 years older than I am, wild card. My brother is four years older than I am, and I was the baby. I was the change of life kid. I was actually, um, I was the accident for my poor dad. Uh, <laughs> just to go a little bit deeper in there, I was the kid that um, the doctor should have prevented from happening 
And one day, my mom finds out she's pregnant. They call the doctor back, and he goes, oh, yeah, I see here on the paperwork that um, the surgery may not have taken. <laughs> so that was kind of setting the tone for my life from the beginning. See, I would say you were the bonus. I, that's what I tell myself. My brother and sister, they don't believe that. Um, but it, what it did is it shaped a childhood for me where, you know, my, my parents were in their early 30s when they had me. So they had already done a lot of life. They had had a daughter who, when I was in kindergarten, she was in high school. She was a senior in high school. So they had already gone that route. My brother was older than I was. So by the time I come around, my childhood was a little bit different. Mm. My parents were in a different phase of life. Um, I think the way they parented was a little bit different. Honestly, I think they were probably a little more exhausted because they had gone through. And I'm experiencing that now with my own kids going... Oh, this is why they were tired all the time. But um, they had a high schooler. Oh my gosh! Right, yeah. and a baby, and a baby, and by the way, my sister, which is a whole other story. Um, she ended up graduating high school, um, got pregnant, got married within the next year after high school, and so my parents are you know helping them get started and deal with things. And the crazy <laughs> part is now years later. Um, my brother-in-law and my sister are incredibly happily married. They have two adult children that are wonderful. Um, but a lot of that was because my parents' investment into their marriage early on. So they're exhausted, right? As a kid, I was pretty much free range. Uh, most of my childhood was really shaped by um, being outdoors. My parents had 11, 12 acres up in southern Ohio with a big pond. So mm. I grew up going outside in the summers after school and I would just be gone until the evenings. Are I would go other kids or just... sometimes other kids. Sometimes I'd go hang out and play in the woods with my brother. Sometimes I'd go get in trouble in the pond and go fishing. But <laughs> I, I realize a lot of what shaped my personality, a lot of what shaped who I am now is even as a dad was that type of environment growing up. My mm. parents were both incredible. They loved me so much, provided everything they could for me. Um, they were both teachers, and so we never had a ton of money, but they never let that keep them from giving me opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, through high school, you know, I, I had been involved with sports and stuff, but it was really more, I, I would say, more the kid that always felt like he was stuck in between multiple worlds. Because, you know, I played soccer all through elementary and middle school. Realized my freshman year of high school that I hated running, so I got out of that, switched over to tennis, which was a little more my speed. But then I was also the kid that I loved science. I loved math. I loved learning and digging deep into different subjects and um, got really heavily involved in music um, my sophomore, junior year of high school as well. And uh, it, was, it was a great childhood. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I realized, and you know, we were even talking about this earlier, is it was an incredible childhood. But in retrospect, when I look back, I, I've started to realize now that I'm a dad, you know, I've got a, a nine-year-old, I've got a seven-year-old boy, mm -hmm. and I've got a four-year-old little girl that will be turning five soon. And I realized that my parents were kind of emotionally unavailable in my childhood. I think a lot of that speaks to just their own stories and what they were dealing with. But when I look back over my um, elementary and middle school years, very formative years, I realize, oh, they they weren't really in a place where they could be emotionally available to me. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad, he had um, he was a middle child. His family um, was pretty 
shut off emotionally. They wouldn't talk about things. Feelings were things that they didn't want to dive into. And Which so, a, lot of, a lot of people still don't. Oh, absolutely. A lot of people think that's the way to do it. It's like, just don't talk about anything and it'll just go away on its own. Right. And, you know, my dad lost his mom when he was in his early 20s. And my grandfather, his dad, was pretty hard and pretty, I, I would use the word almost curmudgeon a little bit. And, and I think my it's dad... Good word, by the way. Yeah, it oh, is. Okay. I, I don't hear that enough these days, no. I don't think. But I think my dad picked that up. And as he got older, as I got older, I realized that's kind of how he parented as well. He didn't know how to handle things. And when I would have things come up um, that were maybe areas of life I didn't know how to navigate as a middle schooler, even as a high schooler, my parents weren't the ones that I went to. Mm. Unfortunately, my dad wasn't the one I went to go talk to about those things. My mom was not the one I went to talk to. I had to find friends. I had to find mentors from the church that I was involved in or the youth group or whatever have you. Um, but I realized that shaped a lot of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And whether I knew it or not at the time, when it came time for me to have my own family, I I made a decision that I don't want to be that type of parent. Again, my parents were wonderful, but I made a choice to say, I want to be available to my kids. Mm -hmm. I want to be available spiritually, emotionally. I want to be available to them, not just in my time, but for them to sit down and trust me and talk about the hard things. You know, we were talking about this a minute ago, Zach, and you can shut me up whenever you need to, but... Um, I'm going to let you roll for Yeah, just let me roll in this one. But this came up the other day. Um, my oldest son, his name's Caleb, he is nine years old. Uh, I love it. He He's the nerd in the family, and I don't say that in a derogatory or mean way. Like, he is the one that he loves gardening he loves reading. He is all about video games. And my wife and I are going, please just let him be the nerdy kid as long as he can be because that's going to save us a lot of trouble yeah. down the road. But he's coming into this place where he's nine years old. He's growing up really fast. And he's starting to move into that preteen world mm. where he's having feelings and emotions. And he doesn't know what to do with them. And the other night, I had a moment with him where I was putting him to bed. And he was really, I could tell he was sad about something. And I started just asking some questions and saying, what's going on, buddy? And we're sitting there together at night. I'm typically the one that'll tuck him in at night and we'll just hang out for a few minutes. And he just starts crying. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. what, What would my dad have done in this moment? Well, he probably would have not been there in the first moment. Probably would have been mom tucking me in. But I sat there for just a second and I thought what would I have needed when I was a nine-year-old kid? Cool, I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to let him cry. I'm going to comfort him. I'm going to assure him that I am here to talk about anything he needs to talk about. But I'm just going to be here. And I'm going to be available to him. And I'm not going to make him feel bad for feeling emotions. I'm going to encourage him to think about what's going on and dig deep to understand what's going on in your heart, buddy. And if there's something you want to share with me, Share it. Be vulnerable. And I came out of that moment and I thought, huh, I guess I'm not my dad anymore. And again, I love my dad. I still love my dad to this day. He is incredible. But I realized that as a, my, as a dad myself, I have a choice of how I get to raise my kids. Mm. And I want my boys to grow up not having to figure those things out on their own. 
but I want them to have somebody that's available to them that can walk them through these hard times and not just tell them to suck it up and do better and deal with it on your own. Mm. Dude, I, what you just said about you want someone to be available to them. Mm-hmm. When you go back to your story and you were looking for people to ask questions to and and have availability to you, it wasn't your parents. No. So you want someone to be available, and if it's not us as dads, it's going to be someone else. Somebody will be there. So you can have control of your parenting style unless you abdicate that, and then someone else will. In many cases right now, that is a screen. Oh, absolutely. You know, or something like that, which absolutely. has a whole... And I'm probably going to make some people mad on this podcast. Like, <laughs> that's okay, because we can't always please people. But in this, in this case... Um, so the last podcast episode, the gentleman who I think you two should meet, I just want to sit back and watch. It'd be amazing. <laughs> his name is his name is Matt, and one of his big elements was being present. Yeah, that's good. So there's some relatability to that too, because even being in present in that moment and being with Caleb and saying internally, "What do I do here?" Yeah, but for you to be there and not judge, not be harsh on it. Because there's a time and place to, to, to let that roll. Oh, yeah. So that you can learn and teach when there's a time and place and it's okay, right? Yeah. And, and to be able to feel those in, in the right context with dad, like with your support systems, so that he can understand some, you know, how to develop that. One of the things that you had, um, a couple follow-ups here. Emotionally, <laughs> avail- emotionally available. Yeah. How would you define, so if someone's listening to this thing and say, okay, emotionally available, cool, what does Justin mean by that? Yeah. Maybe it's a softball question. No, it, it, it is, I think, a little bit harder in that light. When I think about emotional availability, there's a lot of ways you can spin that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of ways you can talk about it. For me, I think about, I have one vivid memory. I think it was in eighth grade. And it was the first time I was processing through um, some hard feelings with girls and had some things come up that I didn't understand, that I had not learned about yet, that I didn't understand. And I remember, oh my gosh, it was probably 11 o'clock at night. I am awake in my bed, dealing with these things in my head going, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. I don't know how to answer this. And I'm just, I'm in a place of near crying as an eighth grade boy. And I go to my parents' room to try and wake up my dad to talk to them and try to explain what's going on. And they tell me to go back to my bed. They tell me, go back Mm -hmm. to my room. Go back to your room. Go back to your room. We didn't follow up the next day. Didn't follow up the day after that. And so I just kind of buried it deep down. I just kind of buried it down in there. And personality-wise, a lot of the way that my personality was shaped, I'm a Enneagram 7, and a lot of the reasons that I think I've responded to my environment, and I've grown up with that, and that personality has... The reason I've responded to my world with that type of personality response is because I learned to take a lot of those emotions because my parents weren't emotionally available in a lot of places, and just kind of compartmentalize and push them down and say, I don't want to feel these feelings. I don't want to feel them. I want to feel happy feelings. So let's just drive them deep down and not worry about them. 
Well, those pop back up years later. Yes. Oh my gosh, in high school and college, I'm still dealing with things now that are uncovering. My wife and I have been together 15 years, and I'm learning that there are still things, emotional baggage, that I am dealing with from my childhood that I've just kind of boxed up and put aside. Sure. Because a lack of emotional availability. Now, when I talk about that word, that term, when I think about that with my nine-year-old boy, with my seven-year-old boy, it's being willing to step into the hard, sometimes just heart-wrenching conversations and not judge them, not make them feel little because of what they are feeling, Mm -hmm. not discounting their feelings, their emotions for anything, and just saying, I want my heart to be available to you. My little boy, our, our middle son, Levi, he's, he's one of these. I'm like, he could go two ways in life. He's either going to be like a CEO of some massive company or he's going to be like an evil Knievel kind of dude. Like he's just a wild card. That He's just a thrill seeker. He does whatever he wants. But he also has one of the softest hearts I've ever seen in a little boy. And this morning they were out on their hoverboards. And my two oldest boys, they just, I mean, they're at it all the time. They've invented this soccer game where they ride their hoverboards on their knees around the cul-de-sac and play soccer. Uh Well, apparently this morning, my middle son comes flying down the road, loses control, flies off the hoverboard, gouges the heck out of his knee, gets a rock in it, comes into the kitchen screaming. And again, emotional availability for him meant... I'm just going to be here. I'm not going to tell him to suck it up. I'm going to hug the heck out of him. I'm going to let him cry. I'm going to comfort him. But I'm not I'm not going to make him feel bad for feeling these emotions. I'm not going to make him feel like there's something wrong with him, that he is lesser than somehow, or that he's not man enough because he's hurting mm-hmm. and having an emotional response to pain that he's feeling in his life. Mm-hmm. That was emotional availability. I'd love to say that I've done really well with that through all my parenting years, and I haven't. I've sucked at it, quite frankly, and I have to remind myself to do it. And my wife does an incredible job of reminding me as well. You know, there's times that I do want to kick back into the mode, and I see my own dad come out through me where I'm going, it's going to be fine, man. Just just get up and walk it off. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I teaching him? Like, yeah, I want him to grow, and I want him to overcome the pain in his life, yep. but I still need to be available for him to know that somebody's going to be there to catch him because right now it's a bruised or cut knee. But when he's in college, who knows what it might be? I want him to feel comfortable to call me at three o'clock in the morning and say, dad, I screwed up. Can you come bail me out of jail? If I can do my job right now and be available and teach him that his dad loves him and is available emotionally to him My hope is that one day he'll learn that Mm. and that he'll come to me instead of, like you said, go to the rest of the world. I think my parents lucked out because I was able to find an incredible man of God um, when I was 16 years old. His name was Tom Charles that um, became that mentor for me. Mm. And you you said it, if you're not that person for your kid, they're going to find it. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I didn't grow up with YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. I would have been a wreck yeah. through college. I, I can't imagine being a kid right now and having that stuff in front of me, 
having to navigate that without having a parent, a dad or a mom who is willing to talk about the hard stuff and willing to be available to you when things go south. Yeah. It, as a parent, it's hard for me to to think about that happening in that someone essentially is nannying. If I let that happen, I'm letting someone else nanny my kids with their keyboard. Mm-hmm. And not knowing what that is. And it's not a control element, but as dads to protect, prepare, and provide for, like, you're, we're kind of letting that go. And, and you mentioned the Enneagram. For those that don't know what the Enneagram <laughs> is, uh, there are a lot of different personality assessments out there that you can take. There's the DISC, the Myers-Briggs. There's a whole plethora. Enneagram um, is a personality assessment that is one of those elements that looks back um at your personality, and you can probably chime in more yeah. on this for me, but yeah. kind of looking at the, the formative years and more so like yep. how did your personality come to be and and why and some of the responses and reactions that you might have yeah. to something uh, are a result of some of the things you experienced when you were growing up during some of those formative years. Is that accurate yeah, to say? Yeah, I, I would say... Th- what I've realized more and more in my adult life is the 12 year old little boy that I was years ago, that's what shaped my emotional and personality in ways that I never really understood as a kid. But in a lot of ways, I'm still that 12 year old little boy. The things that I dealt with then shaped my personality through those formative years in such a way that that's how I saw my world. That's how I responded to my world as an Enneagram seven. It's, cool, I'm going to push away any pain and I'm going to focus on the fun times and the party. I want to be the fun, the life of the party guy that people want to hang out with. And a lot of that was to hide mm-hmm. the other things, the, the emotions that I didn't want to feel because I didn't have somebody coaching me through it in a good way. Right. No, it's <laughs> The feelings conversation stirs up a lot of feelings. <laughs> Especially for guys. It's just like an ongoing circle, yeah. You know, and so each talk kind of has its own theme. This might be some of that emotional yeah. presence training. Like, as a skill that we can learn as dads is what does it mean to be emotionally available for our kids? Why is it important? And what does it even look like? How do you do it? Um, so there's some opportunities to, to look and dive into that. Uh, let me give you an epic fail that I had as far as emotional... <laughs> We could probably trade a few here. I don't know. <laughs> probably. I mean, th- this one stands out because my son reminded me of it the other day. And so he and I had a cabin weekend where we went out and we went fishing, just him and I, and spent some time out on the dock. He's working on his casting, and he's six um, and a half now. And he got a little close to the water, throwing his cast out. It's kind of chilly because it's in the fall. He takes a step and falls in. Oh, my goodness. Now, we're not on the dock. We're on the shoreline. Yeah. He's done that whole ISR swimming element, so... Okay. I watched him. Okay. He he was fine. And I couldn't help, but I kind of laughed. Well, I didn't kind of... I laughed. Yeah. I laughed. And I went and picked him up and helped him out. And he, he had a little laugh. <laughs> I have this on video, sadly. Oh, man. I have it on video. Uh, so just like three days ago, he was sharing something else that had happened at like a camp that embarrassed him and he didn't want to share. And he, he said to his mom and I, he said, Hey, 
you know, I don't want to talk about it. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little bit, but that's all I want to share. Okay. So I followed him outside on the swing and talked to him and he said, dad, there's really only two things that, that I've, I've not told you. And he's six. I'm like, what yeah, is this? Yeah. And I said, okay, well, I want you to be able to tell me anything and, you know, we could talk through it and all that. And I said, well, what's the first, what's the one that's not this one? He said, well, I'll tell you that one, because I've told you, it's when I fell in the water and you laughed at me. Uh, and your heart just sinks. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. Yeah, it was just one of those moments where you just yeah. catch yourself like, well, that's an epic fail. Now, the reason I bring that up is just the antithesis of like, hey, we can do some really things really well, but then not beat ourselves up and learn from it and move forward. Um, but when we look at the emotional availability and just being aware of the other conversation I had around the feelings element, some guys were like, this is a bunch of, they may have already gotten off podcast, right? It's like, yeah, it's just foo-foo stuff. Why do I need to deal stuff. with that? I, I heard this one time and I love it. And so this will, this will stir some people up potentially is, uh, sometimes you may not be man enough to face the feelings that you got. Yeah. The feelings are real. It's learning to make sure that the feelings don't control us. How we name it, how we yep. understand it, because if we can uh, tame that beast, yeah. then that makes us so much more impactful and effective in our household, in the work environment, yeah. in the friend circles, uh, and you know just all that. So I appreciate you going through. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of your experience and the emotional availability standpoint. Well, and one quick thing on that before you move on. Yeah. You know, I think about how, because I, again, I've sucked at that so many times, probably as many times as I've done it well. And I, I, my, my wife has been great reminding me, you know, I think about times where she says, Hey, just go hug your son. I'm like, Oh, that's right. When they get hurt so many times and they're fighting, Hey dad, just go be there for him. Mm. Just go pick him up and hold him. I'm like, yes, that's what I need to do sometimes. But for me, one of the, one of the other tools that's really helped me a lot along the way that I wanted to mention was uh, a book called Voice of the Heart by Chip Dodd. Yep. And what was incredible about this, especially for my personality type, where I struggled to deal with some of these core emotions, it gave me a voice to be able to say, oh, this isn't a bad thing. Mm. Having this emotion, having anger, is not a bad thing. It's because of a reason. I've been wired a specific way, and this emotion is a response to a specific thing. I think what happens more often than not, though, is that people have these emotions. They don't know what they mean. They don't know how to handle them. And so then they just shut down and put can't them aside. Angry. Angry's bad. Well, sadness, all, all of these different things that we would associate as feelings, um, there's a reason they exist. And when you start unpacking that, that that was one of the biggest helps for me. Uh, I had a leader that took a bunch of us through that book a few years ago, mm -hmm. and it, it really shaped how I understood what I was dealing with in my own heart. And, and so what I've started doing with my boys, mm -hmm. especially with my nine-year-old, is when things come up, I want him to figure out what those emotions are. Mm -hmm. And he hasn't read the book. I'm not going to make him read it yet, but I walk through the different things. Hey, buddy, is it this? Is it this? Are you angry? What does that do Are with conversations? Sad? Does that kind of open up the conversation? Oh my gosh. You? It gives him a word to latch on to. Yeah. That he would not have figured out on his own. 
And again, it creates a safe place. Safety is a key thing to where now he's going, oh, dad, you get me. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. I'm angry because when I tried to get your attention in the car earlier, you you didn't hear me. And I was talking, I was saying, dad, 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 and you didn't hear me. And I got angry. But then along the way, that anger kind of turned to sadness because you weren't available to me. It's given him a voice in those times. And, and I, I, I realize I cherish those moments when I put him to bed because we'll just take like five, six, seven minutes. He's like, dad, can we just cuddle? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to lay here with you, buddy. And we're going to talk. But helping him understand what those emotions are mm-hmm. now I'm like man i wish somebody would have had that conversation with me i wish i could have read that book when i was 12 years old <laughs> i would have avoided a lot of pain along my life but but i wanted to mention that because that is somewhere that if this is a concept that is hard or a concept that is new to somebody that's one of the best places to start is reading through voice of the heart understanding what those core emotions are where they come through from and how we respond to those yeah, that's, I'll put that one in the notes. I'll make a note to put it in the notes. So, great. If somebody wants to see that's it, great. You know, go to the website, skilleddad.com, where we've got some different resources that you can look, kind of reference points just for things like this. Um, two more questions for you, and we'll, we'll wrap up. Yeah. So you've got two boys, you got a girl. Yep. Emotional availability for your boys. What about for your three going on 14-year-old? Oh, gosh. Um, for those, those out there that have boys whoo. and girls... It's a different ball game. Yeah. Oh my I'm in the gosh. same boat. My boys, I love it. They are <laughs> they're me as kids. I mean, they're a spitting image of who I was as a kid sometimes. And I see them in the backyard making one of my boys the other day legit found a stick, shaved it down on the concrete and made a spear out of it to go spear other kids apparently and like that was his he's like we're gonna have spear fights remember when i said our kids can get together and play yeah you're you're retracting that now no Um, actually i'm not i'm just gonna give them like more armor for themselves because they're both gonna do it (laughs) they're they're legit sometimes where i go this this is a little bit of um just survival of the fittest out there but my little girl comes along and this was one where we had had my oldest caleb we had our middle son, Levi. They're only um, 20 months apart. Oh, wow. So they're pretty close in age. Okay. Um, my poor wife survived through it. But my <laughs> middle boy, he he was hard as a kid. He was very um, just difficult with sleep. Um, in his early three, four, five-year-old was very sensory-seeking. We're like, is he okay? Do we need to take him to counseling? Does he need to go to therapy? Like, what's going on? Because mm-hmm. we hadn't experienced that with our older child. And he's overcome a lot of that. He's just the sweetest, most loving little boy. But my wife in the middle of this is going, okay, we've had two boys. The odds are stacked highly against us. Right. But Justin, I want a little girl. And I remember thinking, there's no way this is going to happen. I'm shooting boys. That's all I've got in me. (laughs) And statistically, that's all we're going to have. And I remember she had multiple months where she just prayed for a girl. That's all she did. She just prayed for a girl. Sincerely, just watching her say, God, I want a little girl. So then we find out we have a little girl. It was amazing, incredible. From the moment she was born, even up until now, that difference between the two boys Mm -hmm. to her... 
it's hard to define. It has unlocked places in my heart that I didn't realize I had those types of feelings. Mm -hmm. And there are moments that I've asked my wife about this where I, I just look at her when I'm putting her to bed or when she's sleep asleep already, or when she wakes up and comes into our room and is just smiles at me and says, I love you, daddy. It, it awakens a part of my heart that's different from my son's where I want to fight off anything I can to protect her, where I am going to hold her tight, where I'm like, you want to take my debit card now and go buy stuff? I'll give you whatever you want. But, <laughs> but there's just something so unique about that little girl having a daughter that I don't think I really was fully prepared for. And even now, um, I've had a season over these past few months that was, it was one of the hardest seasons, I think, but it was also one of the most precious seasons I've had in my life where... I, I left my job at the end of January, my full-time job, started doing consulting for a bunch of months. And in that season, I had this window of probably about seven, eight weeks mm -hmm. where my boys would get up and they'd go somewhere. We'd have to get them on the bus or something before the school was over. My wife went to work and I had this hour and a half moment in the mornings before I had to take my daughter to preschool mm. where it was just her and I. And it was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And we bonded and we played games and we pretended. And the way my heart opens to her, I, I can't describe it. it. It's a place where I just want to protect her from everything. And I saw something, a photo on Instagram the other day with um, one of my family members. It was a cousin and her boyfriend. I think she's like 13 or 14 years old. And this dude's on Instagram with her wearing a wife beater and a sideways hat and I'm like Jess who's my wife I'm yeah. like you better believe if that boy walks into my house to date my daughter and I'm I'm hearing myself <laughs> say this I'm going oh my gosh I'm becoming that kind of dad it's like, like Geico commercial yeah exactly but I've realized that for my daughter the level of love that I have for her I'm like I don't want her to ever experience hardship I don't ever want her to experience anything but a dad yeah who is there for her yeah. when crap hits the fan in her life and it will one day i want her to go my dad is going to be there for me to catch me and i have a lot of friends i have family members who their dads were not there for them and i saw the downfall of that in their lives mm. um as they grew up as teenagers and as women i saw what that ha what happened with them and i saw the ways that they had to overcome that pain because their dads were not available to them and for me i go I don't want her to go through that. Mm. I want her dad to be available emotionally, spiritually, to be present mm. in her life as a figure, not in a weird, unhealthy way where it's controlling, but as a figure that she goes, I have safety here. Yeah. And I know no matter what I do, I can go back to my dad. And I also think there's something to that where it shapes our picture a little bit of the divine. Mm. Because when our earthly fathers aren't available, when they're not leading, when they're not there the way we need them to be, it shapes our picture of who God might be as well. Mm. And so there's a part of that, I think, with her too, where I want her to, I, I have this picture of her being this incredible, beautiful young lady in her early 20s, having life figured out because her parents were there for them and her dad was there for her. So mm -hmm. long, long trail off of that question, but all that to say, 
yeah, it is a wildly different experience having a daughter than it is to have the two boys who are Lord of the Flies kind of thing right. going on over here. I'm, I'm half expecting one day to come home and there's like a pig head staked out in front of the house. <laughs> um, but that's how they operate. And then the little girl's just the sweetest thing ever. Yeah. Even in her four-nager, obstinate pushback mode that she's in right now. Oh, and, and you know, years down, like how quick that goes, right? Oh, and so yeah. enjoy, in the, in the words of my friend Matt, be present. Yeah, you know, be present. I, the term I use is "be where your feet are." And it's a small season. I get that. The current it's season still is still really a, hard in the moment. It though. is hard in the moment. I'm right there with you. And but I'm reminded both my boys went through that in different ways, yeah. and in another year, it's going to be a different ballgame. Have you ever read the book Wild Things? I like a, the old book from no, years ago. No, not that one. Not where the wild things live. Where the wild things are. Yeah, okay, I was like, whoa, are, yeah, are, I've seen that. There's, there's a book called Wild Things. I actually have a copy if you want to borrow it. Yeah. It's by a gentleman named Stephen James. I had to look at okay. the author in full transparency. They do really well. It's based off of boys. They okay. do really well actually placing some of the years, some elements you can expect, like the warrior, the adventurer. Yeah. And the funny thing is, when I, I read that when my son was born, uh, I've gone back through it again. I've got my second son here. And I actually get to see some of these things. And so when you see it and how you can promote it and let it just be kind of that natural, let them take their natural state. Yep. Right. Let someone take their natural state and celebrate their strengths and what they're doing. But it's just fascinating to watch that. Yeah. I'll have to read that. Yeah. I can get it to you. It's a great book. The one thing about your, your past, I want to throw out there, (laughs) you, you, you were a pastor at one point, right? Oh my goodness, brother. I was... For anyone listening, you know, I mean, they're like, this is a pretty knowledgeable guy. We're talking about God. This is good. Oh, like, man. I, I had probably, it was, it was like 11, 12 years of, of my life. Uh, my wife was in ministry with me as well that, yeah, we, we served um, a couple different churches. And I was on the last two churches I worked at, I was on the leadership teams. And it was, it was interesting because I wasn't the front-facing pastor up on stage but like the last church that i worked at up in kentucky you know it was a church of twelve thousand in regular attendance and to be a leader meant you're taking phone calls after hours you're helping walk-ins when they come in and they have things that they need to talk through you're going to sit and pray with people and help them walk through and overcome things that they're dealing with that was just the expectation that if you're on a leadership team here you're going to have the heart of a pastor. Sure. It was hard because I was realizing, I was thinking back on this the other day, a lot of those years I was still figuring out how to be a man myself. Sure. I was still figuring yeah. out what it meant to actually be a husband, a dad in some cases, and yet at the same time, I'm potentially counseling other people that are struggling with huge things mm-hmm. or praying with folks and leading them and... There's nothing that's going to accelerate. You realize there's never a perfect time to step in and lead, to step in and pastor or coach somebody else because you just have to go for it. All all that to say, those years did teach me a lot about myself. Yeah. Those years did teach me a lot, and I think they did prepare me for what it means to not just love my kids, Mm -hmm. but to counsel them. To not just be there and share books with them and resources, but to counsel them through the things that they're experiencing in life. And in a lot of ways, I'm really grateful that I got to have those experiences. It wasn't my career choice, 
you know, I didn't go to college thinking, oh, I'm going to go into ministry for a decade. Um, it was a wild card to say the least. And <laughs> now that I look back though, I realize I had some incredible moments. I had some incredible leaders and mentors and I had some really hard times, but it was both of those together. Mm-hmm. The hard times, the hard things we had to overcome coupled with the incredible leaders that are out there still that helped shape who I am mm-hmm. that helped me become the leader that I am. You know, I, I'm, you, you mentioned earlier more in the business leadership side now and um, recently just took a new role as a COO at a nonprofit. And I look at that and go, I, I still see myself as a 12 year old little boy. Mm-hmm. I'm not qualified to do anything here, <laughs> but, but yet when I look back, I realize, Oh, it was all those experiences. Yeah. It was all those experiences in ministry. It was all those experiences with people, all these experiences where I screwed things up Mm. that shaped me over the years. And I had a choice to either lean into those experiences and gain everything that I could out of them or run from them. And I think as a dad, man, there's a lot of overlap in that. Yeah. The way that I've been shaping my career, the way that I've been shaping my professional development and leadership I'm realizing I gotta flex those same muscles every single day as a dad. I've gotta take that same fervor into being a husband, being a father, and again, not just passively helping my kids, but actively leading and counseling them through the things that they're gonna encounter in life. That's powerful, man. The um, the word, I think you just used it, I'll go back in here, but bravery. Hmm. This is the word that came to mind in that going into this thing, feeling like the 12-year-old. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a word a lot yep. of people have heard. Yep. Not feeling capable. Um, that, what well, you just said, it's imposter syndrome. Being a dad sometimes, like, I'm not ready for this. I didn't get a manual. I had a conversation today with somebody. Here's a kid. There's no manual. Here's your car seat. Good luck. Yeah, have fun. Have fun. <laughs> I remember when we were left the you, hospital with our first kid. <laughs> And my wife and I look at each other and they're like, we're like, do, do they know that we're leaving right now? Do, be, do people know that they're letting us go with this kid and we have no clue exactly what we're doing at all? You feel so unqualified and unprepared even after nine years. You have to get more credential to get a driver's license <laughs> than gosh. you do to raise a, a human yes. being. That's for another time. We will mark that Sorry. one. <laughs> but, but being able to forge through that. Yes. Is, is what I would classify as bravery. And I, I saw this picture. I totally uh, borrowed it and reposted it. Someone had posted on LinkedIn and I liked it and borrowed it. And, and this is what it said. Be brave enough to suck at something new. Yeah, I just saw that the other day. That's great. And I love that. I love it. I love that. That is bravery and courage. Is that it's not not having the fear. Back to the feelings thing. It's not not having the fear. It's making the choice to do it in spite of the fear, and that's what courage yes, is. That's great. That's what bravery. So when you're showing that, you're modeling that, your sons see that, yeah. your daughter sees that, who she marries eventually will need to fit a certain standard of mold. Yep. Right? So you are shaping the future, and that's the whole part of the skilled dad is what are the skills that we can learn and then go do, so the application so here's a couple books we've thrown out at you tonight. Yeah. Reading is one thing. We can consume. It's application. But the application, and I would argue the engaging in community, yes. 
like this and saying, I laughed at my kid, he fell in the water, and I screwed up. Yeah. I'm not the only one. I'm not horrible. I messed up. We're going to screw up, and I'm going to screw up a lot more in the future, but I'll learn from it. But then going and equipping the next generation for success, what are the skills? So we've gone long. This has been a great conversation. I love it. I talk a lot. I'm sorry there, Zach. That's why you're here, brother. This is perfect. (laughs) So if we were to sum up tonight and kind of the direction this took, what are three things that you would give to someone that's listening right now uh, as takeaways from, from tonight? I would say the first thing is don't let your past, maybe the ways that you haven't been a great parent, a great husband, don't let those things derail the choices that you get to make from now into the future. I mentioned, you know, I've my wife and I have been married for 15 years and I have places where I go, man, I have sucked at things. I don't even know why you stuck with me through some of these things. <laughs> but I look at that and I go, I have to intentionally separate my past and say, how am I going to learn from this? And how am I going to make choices today to do things differently? So realizing that even if you've had patterns, even if you've had five, six years of patterns with your kids, it's okay to draw a line in the sand right now with your kids, with your marriage, whatever it might be. Say tomorrow and the year after that and the five years after that and the 10 years after that, consistency over time, it's going to look a lot different than what it has been. Mm-hmm. Don't let your past derail you. The other one is, I, I think you have you, you, you talked about doing this together in a band of brothers and with having folks that can walk alongside with you. Um, that's something that I have not done well in my past because, again, one of my personality traits is I like to hold people at an arm's length. Mm-hmm. And I've got one incredible friend right now that I, I've told him before. Uh, I've told him, hey, I'm flaky. And yet you stayed loyal. And there's something about that, about having two or three other guys that you can band together with that know you on a deep level. Um, The organization that I work with right now, that's something that they really push for a lot of um, Christians and for churches is you need to have a band of two to three other guys or two to three other gals if you're a female that know you, that ask you the hard questions every week Hey, what are the secrets you're holding? Mm. What are you sucking at right now? Mm-hmm. Where, where are you growing? Where are you not growing? What do you need to confess maybe that you don't feel like anybody would love you if you told them this right now? We need to have those types of relationships. And so that's the second thing is if you're going to be investing in your kids and your family and you're going to be emotionally available to them, you better be emotionally available to some other folks as well that are going to challenge and grow you. And then the third one is is really, I think, for me, when I think about our conversation and I think about what we've been um, talking through, I would say is just realizing that y- you're not going to get it right. You, you are going to screw up. You can even make choices to do things well, but again, you're still going to make mistakes. And the difference is you can either make those mistakes and just push them deep down inside and hide them and just move on, Or you can look your nine-year-old boy in the eye and say, hey, buddy, I screwed up when I did this. Will you forgive me? I am so sorry. Mm. Teach them how to forgive. Teach them how to ask for forgiveness and seek forgiveness. And the way that you're going to do that, 
the way that you're going to be emotionally available, and I've had to learn this for my boys, is when I screw up and I know I've screwed up, I, I need to make sure that they know that part of being a man, part of being a dad, part of just being a decent man in society is being willing to say, I was wrong. Here's why I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Not I'm sorry, but will you forgive me for this? And then being able to give them the space to forgive you. Sometimes they might sit on it for a few seconds and it hurts. But that emotional availability, what I've learned is it comes from setting the example. And you're going to have to dig through hard conversations. You're going to have to swallow your pride. You're going to have to put aside your ego. But my hope is that one day my boys are going to grow up and be incredible dads themselves. That the things that I have had to overcome and the hurdles that I still struggle with are going to be things that are just small anthills to them one day. Yeah. If we had more of that, we would see a little bit of a different world. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're doing is equipping the future. Those are awesome, man. Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate you going through this, taking the time. It's always a lot of fun with you. We got we dove into the pool today. Like you just tell me which direction we go. I'll take I'll find a story to get there. So No, it was good. <laughs> we dove into it today and, and it's what we ended up talking more about. Yeah. Is a pretty uncomfortable thing Absolutely. for a lot of guys. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. It's feelings, it's it's vulnerability and the root word of vulnerability comes from the Latin to be wounded. Yeah. Nobody likes to be wounded, nor are we taught that and actually not necessarily promoted that in any way. And it's don't carry it because then we're actually wounding longer until we get to a point where it comes out and then it can not be great for a lot of people. But, dude, again, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for talking through. It's been fun to just yeah. unpack some of that and walk through it a little bit because, like you said, the, the world would look a lot different if... I think if dads, if parents, moms and dads, really loved their kids in that kind of way. And again, we're not going to get it right. We're going to mess up. You and I have probably messed up in the last week multiple times with the way we raise our kids. Last two hours. Yep, yep. (laughs) Absolutely. But I appreciate you doing this, man. I appreciate you pressing in on the topics and really going to some places, like you said, that are uncomfortable. Yeah. I would say it's my pleasure, and it is. Thank you so much. If you've hung on this long, you got something out of this. And I want to hear what you got out of it. You can chime in at theskilledad.com. Send us an email. You can find the information on there. Uh, But we want to thank Justin for, for showing up and actually showing up. And that's my challenge to you tomorrow. Uh, regardless of how scary something might be, regardless of what you might be facing, Be brave, and in spite of the fear, show up. And also, listen to this story and know that a lot of the things that you're facing, you're not the only one. You're listening to The Skilled Dad.